Well, good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. So good to see y'all today. Let's start with a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for our church. Thank you for each and every person here. God, I thank you so much that we get to walk in our faith with each other, and we get to encourage each other and worship you together. God, we know uh, that your word is like the rain. You send it out and it accomplishes what you send it to accomplish. And so we thank you, God, that you refresh us with your word, you grow us with your word. And God, your word is a lamp for our feet, it's a light for our path. And so, God, I pray that as we read your scripture today, that we will grow in our understanding of who it is that we're worshiping, that we'll draw closer to you, and I pray, God, that you will speak through me today. We love you, Lord, and we thank you so much, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so today's our last week in the book of Daniel. We've been looking at Daniel, and we've been calling this series Living in Exile, and this week, our passage, you'll see in your worship guide, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 through 23. So Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 through 23. So it says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three chief ministers over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these chief ministers and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal ministers, prefects, Satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. 
Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, should be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sunset to save him. Then the man went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, as I said earlier, today we're in our last week of our series on Daniel, and we're looking at what it looks like to live in exile, because Daniel lived in exile. And Daniel, in this passage, has been living in exile for a long time. I mean, when he first got there, King Nebuchadnezzar was king, and Babylon was in charge. And then Nebuchadnezzar's son was in charge in chapter 5 of Daniel. But after that, starting in chapter 6, not only is there a new king, there's a new kingdom. The Babylonians aren't in charge because they've been taken over by the Persians. So now King Darius is in charge, and yet Daniel is still highly respected, still has a high place of authority in the kingdom. So right now they're organizing that kingdom. And of course we're seeing that Daniel is incredibly impressive. Daniel impresses everyone, especially King Darius, to the point where Darius says, well, I'm just going to set Daniel up over the whole entire kingdom. And of course, this makes a lot of the other officials jealous and angry that a foreigner from Judah would have that much power. Daniel is impressive. And Daniel, to me, is kind of like when you see an impressive car, you know, when you see an impressive and, and beautiful and powerful car, you only see the outside. But it's powered by what? It's, it's motor. 
Now, you don't see what's on the inside, but you, when you lift up the hood, you can see the motor. And what I want us to see is that this passage lifts up the hood so that we can see Daniel's mo motor. Daniel's impressive, right? But what is his motor? What's separating him from everybody else? Well, Daniel's motor is prayer. Daniel's motor is prayer. Now, the reason that we're talking so much about exiles is not just because the story of Daniel is interesting, but because the Bible tells us that we also are exiles. In the New Testament, Peter, when he's writing to churches, he addresses them as fellow exiles, foreigners living in a strange land. You know, we've talked about what an exile is. It's somebody who lives away from home and cannot go back home. We know that while we are in this world, even though God is with us, this world is not our home. Because this world is not the way that it should be. And we know and we look forward to and we anticipate the day that Jesus will come back. And the book of Revelation tells us that he will make his home with us because he will bring heaven with him. Then, when we're immediately in God's presence, will we really be home. But right now, we're not home. And so that's why Peter says, Christians, you also are fellow exiles. And so Peter, as he's addressing us as Christians, he's giving us instructions on how to live. He tells us to do what? To pray. In 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your anxiety, cast all your cares on God because he cares for you. What is he saying to do? He's saying to pray. That's what prayer is, giving everything to God. We didn't sing it today, but one of our hymns puts it this way. Take everything to God in prayer. That's what Daniel did in exile. And that's what Peter instructs us to do in exile. To give everything to the Lord. Cast all your anxiety, all your cares on him. Because he cares for you. So if Peter tells us to pray in exile, and Daniel prays in exile, then what should we do? We should look at how Daniel prays in exile to get an idea of how we can pray in exile. What does it look like for us to pray in exile? That's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's get into it. How do we pray in exile? Well, the first thing that we need to see from this passage is the object of prayer. What is the object of prayer? Well, for King Darius, he signed a decree unwittingly, not knowing that it was to set Daniel up, he signed a decree that for the next 30 days, nobody can pray to any human being or any God except to King Darius. So what was he doing? He was making himself the object of prayer. Now Daniel, as soon as this decree was written and made official, he went home, he went upstairs, and what did he do? He prayed. And who did he pray to? Not Darius. He prayed to God. Now, why didn't he pray to King Darius? Why didn't he pray, pray to King Darius? Or maybe a better question is, Daniel, don't you realize this decree is only 30 days long? You could just not pray for 30 days, and then after those 30 days, you would be fine. But Daniel doesn't even wait a day. He goes immediately to pray. Why does Daniel go immediately to pray instead of waiting 30 days for this decree to be over? Because for Daniel, prayer 
is not just done for the sake of saying, I prayed. Prayer is not simply an end. For everybody else that prayed to Darius so that they wouldn't be thrown into the lion's den, prayer was an end. But for Daniel, prayer was a means to an end. And that end was God himself. For Daniel, the reason he could not wait 30 days to pray to God is because of what prayer meant to him. For Daniel, prayer meant intimacy with God. Prayer meant closeness to God. Do you realize when you pray, you can just say words, but that's not the point of prayer. Prayer, the point of prayer is for you to draw closer to God. And I know a lot of times I've woken up and I've prayed and I've said, oh, I prayed. And yet I thought, I don't even know what I just prayed. I just prayed really fast. And that happens because I forgot the purpose of prayer. Intimacy with God, drawing closer to God. Richard Foster, he wrote a book about prayer. And in this book, he talks about prayer this way. First off, he talks about our exile that he experienced, that we experienced. He said, For too long we have been in a far country, a country of noise and hurry and crowds, a country of climb and push and shove, a country of frustration and fear and intimidation. Now what does prayer do? Richard Foster says prayer welcomes us home. When we're in exile, prayer is what welcomes us home. And Richard Foster, how does he describe that home? He says he welcomes us home. Home to serenity and peace and joy. Home to friendship and fellowship and openness. Home to intimacy and acceptance and affirmation. We do not need to be shy. God invites us into the living room of his heart where we can put on old slippers and share freely. He invites us into the kitchen of his friendship where chatter and batter mix in good fun. He invites us into the dining room of his strength where we can feast to our heart's delight. He invites us into the study of his wisdom where we can learn and grow and stretch and ask all the questions we want. He invites us into the workshop of his creativity where we can be co-laborers with him working together to determine the outcome of events. He invites us into the bedroom of his rest where new peace is found and where we can be naked and vulnerable and free. It is also the place of deepest intimacy where we know and are known to the fullest. What is Richard Foster saying here? He's saying that if we want to experience all of those things, if we want to experience being in God's presence, if we want to experience dining with him, asking him questions, learning from him, being comforted by him, being vulnerable, being honest with him, all of those things can be done only through prayer, intimacy. What is it? It's closeness. It's extreme closeness. What we must understand is that if we do not know the object of our prayer, we will not experience the intimacy of our prayer. We might say, duh, of course I know that, Cody, that God is the object of prayer. But I know in my life, a lot of times, I can forget that growing close to God is the object of my prayer. And if I forget that, then I can pray, but I'm going to miss out on something special. If we miss out on the object of prayer, if we don't pay attention to who it is we're praying to, 
then we'll miss out. Think about Jesus when he prayed. Every time Jesus prayed, he always addressed God as Father or my God or Abba. When he taught us how to pray, he said, Our Father. Why? Because Jesus wanted us to know the object of prayer. And what does that mean for us? Sometimes that may just mean to pause. When you sit down to pray, sometimes you may just want to pause and just realize, I'm approaching the throne of God. I'm talking to God. I mean, think about how excited we get when we run into a celebrity and talk to them. You know, how much more excited should we be when we talk to the God of the universe? So, we can stop when we pray and say, I'm actually talking to God and God's actually listening to me. But unless we know that object of prayer, we won't experience the intimacy of prayer. But we also see from Daniel the frequency of prayer. We see the object of prayer. But what's the frequency of prayer? Well, Daniel, when he goes home, he kneels down and prays three times a day. Daniel prays three times a day. And why does Daniel pray three times a day? Why does Daniel pray frequently? Because in order for a relationship to work, in order to have a relationship that's ongoing, you need to have what? You need to have ongoing communication. Now, when I was in elementary school, I had a best friend from about like, third grade through sixth or seventh grade. And we spent so much time together. We were on the same sports team. Uh, I would spend the night at his house. We'd play video games. We'd watch movies. We did everything together. But as we got older, we stopped spending as much time together to the point that now it's been probably over 10 years since I've actually had a conversation with him. On the other hand, uh, when I was in seminary, I met someone who I consider my best friend now. And we had a lot of good times while I was in seminary, but we still have a relationship now because we still keep in touch with each other. And each week, even, we touch base every Thursday or Friday and talk to each other and see how each other's doing. And I'll ask you this question. Which of those two people in my life am I closest to? the one that I'm still talking to, both served an important part of my life. And yet for many people, when they went into captivity and exile, God was a former God. For Daniel, when he went into exile, God was still his God. And the conversation still went on. Daniel spoke to God frequently because he didn't want to just have memories of God. He wanted to be with God. He wanted to be with God. And that's why we should pray frequently, because we want to be with God. Now, this text is not saying, as, you know, a lot of times we can read it and say, the point of this text is that we should pray three times a day. No, that's not necessarily what this text is saying. It's not telling us that we have to pray three times a day. What this text is telling us is, look, no matter how many times Daniel went to pray, God was always there to listen to him. And no matter how many times you kneel down to pray each day, God will always be there to listen to you. Why? Because he wants to be with you. 
He loves hearing from you. He loves you talking to him. And we know that because he's always on the receiving end and he's always listening. God loves for us to speak with him. And so we should pray frequently. Now, for me, one of the ways that I do this is I set a little alarm on my phone or a little reminder to read scripture and pray in the morning and to read scripture and pray at night. And that way I can hear from God through his word and I can also speak with God through prayer and talk to him about what he's told me through scripture. But I've made it a point to frequently, every single day, pray to him. If we're not frequently talking to him, then God will become like that best friend we used to have. That's not the relationship we were meant to have with God. We were meant to have an ongoing relationship. And unless it's ongoing, it won't be close. It won't be intimate. That was Daniel's goal, and that should be our goal. So we need God to be the object of our prayer, but we also need to be praying daily, be praying frequently. But we also see from Daniel, we see the expectancy of prayer. What's the expectancy of prayer? What do we expect to happen when we pray? Now, Daniel, he started praying in verse 10, and he prayed giving thanks to God. And now in verse 11, it shows that those who heard him praying, heard him asking God for what? For help. Daniel asked God for help. Why? Well, this is what he had always done. As the text, even verse 11 says, this is what Daniel always did. But now, Daniel knows that this decree has just been issued. And for Daniel, for him to pray means to go into the lion's den. So Daniel knows the lion's den is on the horizon, right? So Daniel asked God for help. Now, when Daniel goes into the lion's den, Daniel is at peace. Daniel doesn't seem afraid. It's just like in chapter 3 when we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They experienced peace. Daniel's experiencing the same peace. He's not fighting. He's not clawing. He's allowing them to throw him into the lion's den. But who does not have peace in this story? King Darius, the one who told everyone, pray to me. The one who told everyone, pray to me, is the one who does not have peace. The one who cannot go to sleep. The one who cannot eat any food, who does not ask for any entertainment because he's distressed. And why is he distressed? How can Darius be in a palace at night and have less peace than Daniel, who's in a den of lions, who can shred him to pieces if they choose to? Because Daniel trusts in the Lord. That's what it said in verse 23. Daniel, he trusted in his God. That's why he was able to experience the peace of God that Darius was not able to experience because Daniel, or I should say, Darius hoped that God would rescue Daniel, but he didn't trust that he would rescue Daniel. May God rescue you who continually serve him, but he didn't say, oh, I believe that you will rescue him. Daniel, on the other hand, knew when he prayed to God that God, like Jesus said, with God all things are possible. So Daniel, when he took something to God in prayer, when he gave him his prayer, when he gave him the situation with the lion's den, he said, God, you can rescue me from the lion's den. But that doesn't mean he was forcing God to rescue him from the lion's den. When we pray to God, 
we expect and we know that he can help us, that he can do the impossible. But we also know that Daniel's answer prayer is not always going to be our experience. You know, there are a lot of people that die for their faith. We who serve a Savior who is nailed to a cross should know that a lot of times when we pray, God doesn't give us exactly what we want, but we can know that God is more wise than we are and God knows more than we know. So we can trust him with whatever he does, but we won't trust him unless we believe that he is able to do far and above anything we could ever ask or imagine, as Paul says in Ephesians 3. Think about Abraham. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 18. Abraham asked God for what in prayer? He asked for a son, and God gave him a son. But at this point, in Genesis chapter 18, he had not had that son with Sarah. And so in Genesis 18, verses 10 through 14, the Lord speaks with Abraham. And he says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? How did God address Sarah's mistrust of God? He said, nothing's too hard for me. Now, that's why Daniel was able to trust God, because that was his expectation, that God is able to do anything that I ask him to do. That doesn't mean he always will do everything I ask him to do. But when you pray, you should be praying expectantly. When you talk to God, you shouldn't say, this prayer is too big for God. No, you should say, there's no prayer too big for God, because There's nothing too hard for God. There's nothing our God cannot do. Everything that we bring to him, everything that we take to him, we can expect and know that he can do far and above anything we could ask or imagine. And we can say, God, I've placed it in your hands. In my hands, I can't do nearly as much as you can do. I mean, think about all these prayers in the hands of King Darius. What is this passage about? This passage is all about not just what God can do, but what King Darius can't do. Darius said, everybody prayed to me, and he couldn't turn over the decree. He couldn't rescue Daniel. He couldn't rest. He couldn't experience peace. But God could give peace to Daniel. God could rescue Daniel. God could save Daniel. God can do everything that we can't do. And so when we pray to him, It's not as though we just sit in our room and don't do anything, but we pray to him expectantly, knowing that when we give anything to God, he can do amazing things with anything that we give to him. So we see the object of our prayers, God, and we see the frequency of our prayers daily speaking to him, and the expectancy of prayers that God can do far and above all that we could ask or imagine. But Daniel, the next morning, When King Darius woke up, as soon as it was dawn, he ran off to the lion's den. 
And he said, Daniel, in an English voice, Daniel, has your God, whom you continually serve, has he been able to rescue you from the lions? And what did Daniel say? He said, yes, he has been able to rescue me from the lions. He was able to rescue me. And how did Darius know that God had rescued him from the lions? Because he had the stone removed. And what did he see? He saw that Daniel was alive. Now, think about Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are going to Jesus' tomb. He was crucified three days ago. When they get to his tomb, what do they find? They find that the stone has been rolled away. And just as an angel was with Daniel, an angel is sitting on top of the stone. He says, he is not here, he has risen, just as he said he would. Just as when Darius had the stone rolled away and saw that Daniel was alive. We can see, when we look at the tomb and the stone is rolled away, that Jesus is still alive. He was crucified, but he has been risen. And so Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they ran off to tell the disciples, as the angel told them to do, and they ran into Jesus on the way. And just as Darius was overjoyed, they were filled with joy. And he said, go tell my disciples to go and meet me at a certain place. And so the disciples came and they met Jesus at a certain place and their jaws fell to the floor. And they were almost in disbelief. Could this really be Jesus whom we saw go into the tomb? Now the stone has been rolled away and he is out of the tomb. Jesus, who we talked about recently, as being in exile, was in exile, why? Why did Jesus leave his home to come to us? He came to be the good news. He came to take sin and death on and defeat it so that we could be with God forever. He came to be the good news, but he calls us out and he sends us out to bring the good news. And that's exactly what he did to the disciples as soon as they came into contact with him. He gave them what? The Great Commission. Now, in verses 18 through 20, Jesus tells them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you notice what he told them to do? Go and make disciples of all nations. What is that going to require them to do? To go into exile. To leave home. To be uncomfortable. They are being sent out to go to the other nations. And yet, why does Jesus call them to go out to the other nations? What is Jesus trying to get them to see? Jesus is trying to get them to see what the whole book of Daniel is about. He's trying to get them to see that what matters most is not where you are. What matters most is who is with you. What matters most is not where you are. What matters most is who is with you. Jesus said, go out into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing, teaching, and surely... I am with you 
the very end of the age. Not just in the lion's den. Not just until you die. But forever and ever. That's why he came. So that he could be with us. Not just in our lifetime. But for all time. And so we can know that through Jesus we can be with God forever. But we can also know that through prayer we have access to him at all times and in all places. And if you're in exile, if you're away from home, you can always know that you always have access to God. God is always with you and he always wants to speak with you. And through prayer, we have a gift that we should never take for granted. When we're praying with someone, when we're praying by ourselves, when we hear someone praying for us, we should realize this is special. This is a gift. This is a total, absolute joy. Imagine if prayer didn't exist, but it does exist. And God is always there with you. And through prayer, you can always be there with him until, like we said earlier, he comes back. Until Jesus comes back and you're in his immediate presence, but until then, you always have access to him through prayer. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we don't deserve all the gifts you've given to us. But God, that's why it's grace. It's free. It's unearned. God, we can never earn it. So, God, I pray that we will accept this free gift of praying to you, always having you as our audience before us, always being able to approach the throne through Jesus confidently, God. And we thank you for how Daniel shows us how to pray in exile. But we also pray, God, or we thank you, God, that even while we're in exile, you're with us. And, God, I pray that just as Daniel was a light in exile, just as Jesus was a light in exile, we will realize that the reason we're in exile is to be a light for others to see us praying, just as they saw Daniel praying. And so they will want to pray, and they will want to see what we have. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for prayer, and we thank you that we're praying to you right now, and you're hearing us right now. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.